This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Yes, that would be me, Douglas Everett. By the way, I'm in no way related to that Canadian politician who occasionally turns up in lists of quotes. Also no relation to Everett Washington, Everett Community College, or the Everett Apartments in Chico, California, which were all items that pulled up when I typed Everett in on the Google search. I didn't want to confess, as I, I think I should do from time to time, that Douglas Everett is in fact not my real name. No, I changed it to sound more showbizy. My actual name is Shecky Fleckman. No, and our thanks to comedian Dave Maxey, from whom we steal that joke on a, about a yearly basis. You know, we do confess we're often torn in this program as to whether to bring on a, a high-quality guest to interview or to sometimes just wade through all the material that's out there and seems to warrant commentary on. Today, I think we're going to do one of those commentary-type programs. This is motivated in no small part due to the fact that our efforts to secure comedian Phil Proctor, he of the Fire Sign Theater, to come and chat with us, fell through this week, and we did not make the hoped-for progress in our efforts to secure activist Daniel Ellsberg. We will, however, continue to uh, pursue both those gentlemen, and I expect to have them on the program sometime in the next few weeks. We also hope to bring on political gadfly Michael Parenti to talk about, well, whatever Michael wants to talk about. Although Mr. Parenti is noted for his Marxist outlook, and this correspondent is, well, I guess, leans toward, I guess, a combination of progressivism and libertarianism. Is that possible? Well, I think it is. Mr. McMillan, however, has his doubts. I think we'll wax philosophic on that very topic, perhaps, at the conclusion of today's program. Why not? Let's face it, we have no script for today's show. Thus, our discussion today will evolve as we go along. And let us start today's program as we like to do with On This Date in History. Our date today, of course, is the 4th of July, which is by tradition the date upon which the United States of America declared their independence from Great Britain. The declaration, in fact, came 442 days after the first volleys were fired in the War of Independence. It's a little-known political fact that if France hadn't come in to save our butts, we might well have not succeeded in our becoming independent. Curious to note, too, that it was on August 2nd that the declaration got signed. And really, in reality, it wasn't until uh, 1783, with the signing of the Treaty of Paris, that the U.S. formally became a free and independent nation. But uh, going back in time, we would like to note that it was on July 4th in the year 1054 that the brightest supernova in like the last millennium or so began shining. It was recorded by both Chinese and Japanese astronomers and was visible in the daytime sky for 23 days. The remnants of that explosion are known to astronomers as the Crab Nebula. 
If you've never checked out the Hubble Space Telescope photograph, the details of the Crab Nebula, you should probably stop what you're doing sometime today and, and do so. It is one hell of a piece of space art. And at the center of that titanic explosion of a thousand years ago is the Crab Nebula Pulsar, a tiny remnant star which spins 30 times a second. Pulsars tend to send out a rather uh, interesting rhythmic beat in the heavens. In fact, uh, uh, Grateful Dead drummer Mickey Hart has incorporated the sounds of the Vela Pulsar into some of his music, which is kind of cool. We also note that it was on July 4th in 1848 that Karl Marx and Friedrich Engels published the Communist Manifesto. And on this date in 1863, the Confederacy was split down the Mississippi River when Confederate General John Pemberton surrendered to Union General Ulysses S. Grant at Vicksburg during the American Civil War. His success at the hard-fought Battle of Vicksburg brought Grant to the forefront of Union leadership and did help the Northern forces eventually succeed, having been hobbled for a couple of years by some of the most incompetent generals in military history. General George McClellan, one of Grant's predecessors, uh, was so timid, for example, that at one point President Lincoln had to ask him if he could borrow the army if uh, McClellan wasn't planning to use it. A couple of other Fourth of July commemorations. On July 4th in 1884, France presented the United States with the Statue of Liberty, commemorating the French and American revolutions. And 16 years ago today, July 4th, 1997, NASA's Mars Pathfinder became the first U.S. spacecraft to land on Mars in more than two decades. The craft used parachutes to slow its approach, then deployed airbags to cushion its impact. Images were transmitted from the spacecraft on the Internet the same day. And, of course, the Pathfinder was indeed a Pathfinder for the Spirit and Opportunity rovers. And, of course, the Opportunity's still hard at work on the Martian surface. And we expect big things yet to come from the Curiosity rover in Mars's Gale crater. It's currently winding its way up to some uh, layered beds, which we expect to tell quite a geological history about water on the ancient surface of Mars. Stay tuned for that one. Our quote of the day comes from Ann Landers, whom I think we've never quoted before. Said the advice columnist, opportunities are usually disguised as hard work, so most people don't recognize them. Our quip of the day comes from banker Sir John Quinton, who said, politicians are people who, when they see the light at the end of the tunnel, go out and buy some more tunnel. Our joke of the day comes from the writers for Craig Ferguson, who said last week, if you really don't want gay people to get married, you shouldn't ban gay marriage. You should ban gay divorce. All right, among our stats of the day is um, a sad one. Apparently four out of five of the millions of tropical fish that are caught in the wild to be sold as pets die before or soon after they reach home aquaria. In fact, I understand over in Hawaii, they're now starting to put some restrictions on the gathering of, uh, of reef fish, and I just say it's about time. Somebody really does need to step in and make sure that... Um, the fish we're importing in this country are captured in a humane way and that conditions are such that they're not going to all die in transport. That seems reasonable, doesn't it? That's kind of a sad stat, so let's do kind of an, a crazy stat, which is that according to public policy polling, a plurality of Democrats, 
say John Lennon is their favorite Beatle. Whereas just 15% of Republicans agree. For their part, 49% of Republicans name Paul McCartney as their favorite Beatle. Oddly enough, it turned out 28% of Republicans asked, who are the Beatles? Actually, I made that up. But if you are keeping score here at Radio Parallax, I have to say that yours truly would give the slight edge to McCartney, whereas Mr. McMillan favors John Lennon by, he says, a very wide margin. I don't know. I'm standing by Paul McCartney, Mr. McMillan, even though I have to admit John Lennon did not write anything as bad as Admiral Halsey slash Uncle Albert. Wait, wait a minute. Wait, wait, wait. What about all the Yoko Ono stuff? What do you say to that? I'm sorry. You throw Yoko into this and I'm going to win this one by a TKO. I think we better jump into the good, the bad, and the ugly. All right, according to the Sacramento News and Review, it was a good week last week for following orders with the news. And this comes from the scorekeeper section by the SNNR staff. And apparently at a naturalization ceremony last week at Rayleigh Field, 888 new Americans were prevented from leaving their seats after taking oaths to this nation. The U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement Branch of Homeland Security evidently made the mistake of holding the swearing-in first, then making all those new naturalized citizens wait under the hot sun while cultural dance troops boogied and local politicians blah blah from their viewing displeasure. Out of the magazine, when a few folks stood to use the bathroom, immigration officials blocked the exit. You can't leave. Stay in your seat, one ordered. Which prompted the news review to say, Congratulations, new citizens. Welcome to the United States. Now sit the hell down. All right. According to The Week magazine, it was, on the other hand, a bad week last week for sticking the landing after Joe Barbera of Washington State climbed to 15,000 feet in a lawn chair attached to balloons but came down in a tree. And yes, he had to be rescued. I want to say, as a public service announcement, if you're thinking about climbing up thousands of feet into the sky using balloons and a lawn chair, look up the story of what happened to Lawn Chair Larry when he did this in Los Angeles 20-some-odd years ago. This is not, I think it's been shown, a good way to get an introduction to aviation. And it was an ugly week, I think, for all of us with the news that the National Geographic Channel is planning... An upcoming movie this year, Killing Kennedy, a follow-up to their Killing Lincoln, both based on the book by Bill O'Reilly. We talked in this program some years back about uh, how lame Bill O'Reilly's uh, version of what happened to the 35th president is, but uh, the kicker to this story is that they've engaged Rob Lowe to play JFK in this movie. And get this, I'm quoting from the Los Angeles Times, The production of Killing Lincoln was so successful the channel has already announced plans to team up with O'Reilly to produce a film from his forthcoming book, Killing Jesus. 
Pause and no, I'm not kidding. One interesting fact about O'Reilly's take on the killing of Jesus is that it was the work of a lone nut. <laughs> but at any rate, we're not done because it was uh, both a good and bad week last week for Ghostbusters. Mr. McMillan? Yes, apparently security cameras at a British museum have now proved that a 4,000-year-old Egyptian statue has been slowly rotating inside its glass display case. Physicists have speculated that the movement might be the result of vibrations from people walking by. To which we say, who are you going to call? And finally, it was both a bad and ugly week last week with the news, and this one has my heart sinking, that a Chinese businessman has won a 50-year concession to build a canal in Nicaragua to rival the Panama Canal. Wang Jing says his $40 billion project will connect the Caribbean with the Pacific by way of Lake Nicaragua. At 178 miles long, the waterway would be three times longer than the Panama Canal and has drawn opposition from environmentalists who say it would threaten the country's main supply of drinking water as well as crocodile breeding grounds. Well, if you've ever been to Lake Nicaragua, and I'm fortunate enough to be able to say that I have, you could be nothing other than horrified at the prospect of turning it into a giant commercial maritime freeway. It is a stunningly beautiful place, and I gotta say, the thought of this just makes me shudder. But apparently President Daniel Ortega, who's come a long way from being the leftist firebrand he once was as part of the Sandinista movement that ruled the country for a while, to becoming the corrupt Central American quasi-dictator he is today. Ortega has pushed approval of this project through his docile National Assembly and says it will generate tens of thousands of jobs for the impoverished country. China's biggest state-owned construction company is scheduled to start digging next year and to finish the canal by 2020. To which I say, oh, I hope not. We will definitely follow that story. And we mentioned some future guests at the top of the program. We're going to have to add Alistair Bland to the list for his wonderful piece in the current Sacramento News and Review titled Water Fight. Subheadline is the Governor Jerry Brown says building two multi-billion dollar 39-mile tunnels will save the Delta and bring more water to Californians. Sacramento County residents worry it will destroy their communities. We don't have time to go into this piece in any kind of length today. We will have to... Uh, bring Alistair Bland on to discuss it, but I did like one quote in the middle of the piece from Barbara Berrigan Paria, described as Executive Director, Restore the Delta, who's on Governor Jerry Brown's Bay Delta Conservation Plan, is saying every farm from Walnut Grove to Sacramento will be destroyed. Of course, this is bounced off by the rather hilarious quote from Nancy Vogel, described as Spokeswoman Bay Delta Conservation Plan, saying this isn't an engineering plan, it's a conservation plan. But far and away, my favorite quote emphasized in the piece was from Doug Hemley, Sacramento County pear farmer, who asked what we've been asking on this program for some time since we heard about this outrageous water grab. 
said Mr. Hemley, quote, no one understands how you can improve the health of the Delta by taking water out of the Delta. Everyone here is scratching their heads about this. I don't know. We hear that Jerry Brown's planning to go down to the Monterey Bay Aquarium and improve the habitat for all the fish and wildlife down there by taking most of the water out of the tanks. I mean, it's equally plausible, isn't it? We're also intrigued by a prior piece in the News and Review from, uh, in May by Rahim Hosseini titled Housing Bubble 2. Its subtitle is Surging Home Values, Affable Financing, Market Manipulations. Sacramento's seen it before, but how will things end this time around? Well, Mr. Hosseini, I think that depends on whether you are holding the bag when the second bubble bursts or whether you've been able to get someone else to hold that bag. Well, it appears we've chewed up all of our time for segment one. But before we go, let's, uh, let's see what America's foremost political comic has to say about uh, the news from Washington emanating from our Supreme Court. Hey guys, Will Durst here with a few choice laudatory words to all our friends in the LGBT community for finally being upgraded to equal human status. Congratulations, you have survived. You must be so over the rainbow, it's having babies. Cakes are being baked and balloons blown in your honor. All around the country, it's raining men and women. Sorry you had to wait so long, maybe this time it'll stick. See, the deal is, a lot of bitter old people had to die first. You know, folks that went to their last dance believing professional wrestling is legitimate. But that's all wet towels on the floor of the shower of the YMCA now because you're within a hair's breadth of becoming intimate with the blessed institution of marriage. And quite a few of you have shown interest in voluntarily committing yourself to that institution. Good luck, but be careful what you ask for. Don't want to rain on your parade, but you should know about the wild and wacky world of unintended consequences. As beautiful and sacred as the beginning of a marriage can be, that's how ugly and grotesque the ending of one can get. You are in imminent danger of experiencing direct contact with lawyers. Expect many remakes of that 1934 Ginger Rogers Fred Astaire classic, The Gay Divorcee. The bad news is 50% of all marriages end in divorce. The good news is the other 50% end in death. And don't forget that old adage that the reason divorces are so expensive is because they're worth it. But right now, relax. You're too sexy for all that. Take a walk on the wild side because you're coming out to the Copacabana to be a dancing queen. Just wake me up before you go-go. For Radio Parallax, I'm Will Durst. Will, thanks for the suggestions on bumper music. That seems like an embarrassment of riches. Pick one, Mr. McMillan. Music and passion were always the fashion at the Copa. They fell in love. This is indeed Radio Parallax. I'm Douglas Everett. Let's take a short break. He was escorted to his chair He saw Lola dancing there And when she finished He called her over But Rico went a bit too far Tony sailed across the bar And then the 
the punches flew and chairs were smashed in two. There was blood and a single gun.